Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Project Sovereign. Today, I have Dan Astin Gregory with me. Dan is an entrepreneur, strategist, and global thought leader who has impacted hundreds of thousands of people in over 90 different countries with his work in human potential, leadership, and entrepreneurship. He has recently launched the Pandemic Podcast, which is tackling some of the biggest issues currently facing humanity. Dan, thank you for joining me. Real pleasure to be here, Alex. Nice to meet you, and uh, great to be on the show. So, Dan, I first saw you uh, early November, I think it was, where a family member mentioned a video of yours. Uh, so that's why I checked that out. I was so fed up with, you know, like the binary thinking uh, of people. It was either this or that, and there was no, like, nuance and reason and, uh, involved in anything. Hence why uh, I asked you to, to come on the podcast. So thank you very much. And I think it's playing a big role, and I think that's why sort of your, your podcast, if it hasn't already, will take off. Because there's like a, a vacuum of lacking of reason debate about this critical thinking. Absolutely. In fact, funny enough, I think today's video is going to be on the subject of uh, cr uh, critical thinking. And yeah, I've been really, I mean, I, I, I recorded a video back in August, which was the first, I've had a podcast before, you know, I, I, I launched a podcast back in 2015 and, and uh, so I'm an experience creating audio and productions and that sort of stuff. But I felt like I had to speak out on this subject now. My first video on this whole matter was was called I've Been a Coward, but I'm no longer willing to sit on the sidelines, effectively. Mm -hmm. um, and it was a 20-minute video that basically explored what I'd witnessed since the beginning of the year, whereby it started to feel a little bit like the dot-com bubble uh, in the 90s, whereby we had the underlying reality of the situation, and then you had the perception of the situation created by uh, the inflated sense of fear in the media and the government, et cetera. And there was this growing gap between what was actually real and what, what it was being perceived to be. And uh, more and more it stacked upon it, one thing stacked upon another. And it just got to a point where I thought, well, uh, I can't stay silent anymore. You know, I've been reading the science. I've been, you know, at that point I'd read hundreds of papers on, on the underlying uh, data. I'd read lots and lots of different scientific journals. And I thought this is, this is, I've got to say something, particularly when I saw, the kids going back to school at that point and the way in which they were going back to school. I don't have kids, but I'm thinking of starting a family. And um, it just triggered me. And I said, I have to say something. And, and since then, you know, recorded almost daily content ever since, um, reached over a million people just on Facebook Live alone. Nice. Uh, and we're just, we're just about to get out onto YouTube and Spotify, et cetera, to try and expand the, the work. Uh, but really that's the whole point of the podcast. You know, it's called uh, the Pandemic Podcast, Question Everything. It's just really designed to encourage people to ask questions because we just tend to read the headlines. We barely even read the stories, let alone yeah. <laughs> the, art, you know, the articles that go with the stories. You know, I've, seen, I've seen newspaper headlines, which you create this inflama inf like inflamed sense of fear. Then you read the article and it's, it's a lower sense of fear. Then you actually go and read the actual scientific paper and the paper doesn't reflect what's been written in the article. So, yeah. um, you know, the podcast is really designed to kind of bring a pragmatic view on the situation and ask questions that other people don't seem to be asking. That's great. I mean, it's definitely missing. So uh, kudos to you for doing it. Can you, can you take us a little bit into your background and your history? Because I know you're an entrepreneur and speaker and everything. Yeah, so I spent, well, I spent far too long in corporate. <laughs> I was the first, I was the first, I was the first uh, person in my family to go to university. Uh, and uh, once I left university, I kind, of, I kind of followed the designated path, which you get taught to do at school which is, you know, strive to go to university, go to university, then get a sensible job. And I was just, <laughs> far too long, I followed that pathway. Um, but then in 2012, made the decision to go up by myself. Uh, you know, what my corporate career did give me was a, a desire to uh, 
make a difference in the world. It gave me a desire to become a leader. It gave me the desire to help people fulfill their potential. And uh, it really gave me the skills to develop strategies to take an idea and turn it from idea to reality. Um, and, and, you know, I, I, it's strange being 2020, 10 years ago, I was witnessing uh, the last recession kick off and seeing, I was working alongside lots of different business owners at that point mm. uh, and seeing the struggles that they were going through then are very similar to what they're going through now, just very different circumstances that have led to the situation. Yeah. And I just became impassioned. I wanted to help, you know, I could, I could, I felt like I could see solutions that would support these business owners, but in, my, in the career I was in at the time, I didn't have the opportunity to actually give the advice that I felt could help. So I've made the decision. It was a tough decision because, you know, uh, starting out by yourself is, is rarely easy. Uh, mm. you know, even if there's, even if there's a roadmap to follow, you know, it's, 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 it takes time and effort and focus. Um, but I had to do it, you know, it was mm. 2012. Uh, I remember on the Friday afternoon, uh, I called my boss and said, I need to speak to you on Monday morning. <laughs> and she said, do you want to speak to me now? I said, no, I'll speak to you on Monday morning. I need to, I need to think about it. Uh, and then gave her a call on first thing on the way to the office and said, I'm, you know, I'll be leaving. And she said, uh, I thought that might be what you were going to say. Uh, <laughs> and she was very um, sympathetic to me. And she said, uh, you know, you're probably one of the most entrepreneurial team members I've ever worked with. And um, uh, that, that set me on a good course, at least with the right mindset going into the next yeah. phase, which was, three years of stress, struggle and sacrifice to get things moving. But yeah, that's a different yeah. story. But that's part and parcel of it all, isn't it? You've got to pay the price. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it actually, there was, it was never strategy. You know, the strategy was the thing that I'd learned to, to, to understand in my corporate career. That was the thing that was my strength. Yeah. What actually was the problem was rarely the strategy in the first three years. It was actually myself. It was my own mindset. It was my own uh, self-limiting beliefs. It was my own fears. It was my own doubts. Uh, it was the man in the mirror that was causing all the problems for those three years, you know. So do you, I, I, I affect do you consider yourself a coach? Is that what you usually consider yourself? Well, as? so, you know, what I, I, I learned uh, executive coaching pretty early on. I, I, I trained in coaching through my corporate career, leadership coaching. Um, but it was always a tool set. I never, I, I don't actually like labels <laughs> for a yeah. start. You know, people always say, are you a coach? Are you a consultant? Are you a strategist? I say, I don't use any of these labels. These are just labels and they're, they're restrictive in their own, in their own sense. I use coaching skills. I use consulting skills. I use strategy uh, as an entrepreneur with, with, with clients, at least at the early part of my business career, that was what I worked on. I worked on helping uh, entrepreneurs, uh, startups, uh, business leaders to take their ideas and accelerate the progress through various different skill sets, whether that's training, coaching, consulting, um, whatever skill set was most necessary to actually achieve the result was what I would deploy at the time. Mm -hmm. So, so let's say early this year, we've got to, uh, pandemic levels over in China. Did you ever think we'd get to where we got to today back then? No, I didn't actually. I mean, n nothing like what we'd seen now. And, you know, I'm 37 years old, recently turned 37. I've lived through a couple of epidemics and seen the responses to those epidemics. Even, yeah, we kind of go through these spikes in seasonal respiratory viruses every other year. And, and most of them pass us by without us even noticing. I, I was yeah. recounting over the weekend. I didn't really remember the 2018 spike in december january which was actually one of the most significant spikes in recent history but i don't recall it because we didn't we didn't really over publicize it um so witnessing what i saw in the first three months of the year i didn't absolutely did not expect to see what we're experiencing this year certainly in terms of the responses to it let alone the um the underlying trend of the, the virus um mm. so no i didn't i didn't see what 
I didn't see this coming. Um, I didn't see the reaction coming. I didn't see all of this really, you know, I could see, I could see that something was happening, but not of this magnitude. No, no. And uh, let's start getting into a bit of the, the beef. How, how, very broad question to begin with, how do you think it's been handled on the whole by, by the Western governments? It's, it's, it, I mean, it's just been a, it's been revealing. I, I, I it's, it's, where to start? I mean, yeah, yeah. first, for, for, to, to begin with, you know, we have been, as I mentioned, we have been through significant seasonal um, patterns of epidemics, and we've taken a certain response in, in light of that, and, and, and nothing like we've seen right now. And whilst it is true that things like lockdowns and quarantines to some degree have been used in the history of time, they certainly haven't been normalized in the, in, in the you know, the, the 20th century, so the 21st century. So it's, um, it's been very confusing to see the responses. And uh, to some degree, I can understand that early hesitancy around a new virus, you need to kind of figure it out. But by the time we were making these decisions for lockdowns and such, we pretty much had three months of data. And what was confusing to me, I remember boarding a plane to go to Asia uh, for my honeymoon back in mid-February. We were going to Thailand. We weren't, we weren't like flying into the eye of the storm, but we were going to Thailand. And I thought, well, I'm just going to check out what's happening in Asia. What's the reaction? Um, because obviously there's something happening and I need to be aware of it. And at that point, there was very little concern. You know, it wasn't, there was no concern. There was no travel restrictions whatsoever in terms of flying into Thailand. Um, but you, you could get a sense that there was this mounting fear growing. Um, but for whatever reason, then that led in March to a series of decisions. But even looking at the data at that point, you know, you could very clearly see who the risk categories were. You could see, yeah. uh, you could see an indication of what the likely, uh, you know, always with any new virus, you know, I've learned this, I'm no, I'm no virologist or scientist, but I've, you know, read so much this year that, you know, start to learn all the terms. Um, the case fatality ratio of a new virus is always going to be high at the beginning. It's always going to be high because it's, you're only monitoring the, the people who have got it versus then the people who pass on. So it's always going to be high, but you expect that to, you know, to, to reduce almost tenfold within a reasonable period of time. So when I started seeing the data, I thought, okay, well, this is a situation, but you can imagine where this is going to go. You know, it's going to, it's going to, it's going to, it's going to accelerate and then it's going to dwindle down. It's going to follow the typical yeah. curves that you'd expect to see. Um, but when, when in March, these kind of global lockdowns were, were announced based upon essentially one scientific paper by Professor Ferguson, which was never peer reviewed, they never, they never, they never actually evaluated, critically evaluated the assumptions uh, that he used in order to create that model. And it took a long time to even for, for, for data engineers to be able to get hold of the underlying model themselves so they could actually look at the, the specific modeling. Yet these global decisions were based on this uh, single paper, uh, which, which, you know, I, I would have thought mo even the decision makers and themselves surely looking back in hindsight are going to go, what on earth were we thinking? Yeah, you know, yeah. what on earth were we thinking? So, and he's only got the, he's only got the, the greatest record in the world either, <laughs> no. has he, to be honest. No, no, no. I mean, if, if you're in business and you want to, you want to bring someone in to make it like, you want to bring a doomsday scenario in, bring in professor Ferguson. <laughs> he will definitely, he will definitely he will definitely paint a bleak picture for you. So if you if you want to if you're doing a simulation exercise for your business and you want to work out what the absolute worst scenario is going to possibly be, even if it's not likely in the slightest, bring in Professor Ferguson. He'll bring the doom and gloom for you. <laughs> um, but the reality is, how did one individual get such precedent? Because yeah. surely at that point there was very you know. It, it, 
in terms of the scientific community, surely there was a lot of people looking at this going, well, this is interesting. Maybe we'll start creating some models for ourselves. How did his get selected? Because you're absolutely right. His track record when it comes to the past decade has been woefully inaccurate. You know, if I was to bring a consultant into my business and they had 10 years of bad, bad, yeah. bad results, what, what kind of result would I expect? Yes, everyone, you know, you can give everyone a second chance. You know, I believe in that. But but actually history has repeated itself once more. And, you know, history isn't necessarily a predictor of the future, but in this case, I think yeah. it has been. Well, one thing is that these models and these, you know, data analysis, uh, whatever, uh, one thing they can't predict is like a black swan event. No. Something that far, far left brick coming in. You, you just cannot predict that. No. Um, and I think this scenario is one of those events, like uh, 9-11 and things like that. You just can't predict things like this are going to happen. Um, but generally speaking, what seems to have happened in particularly those two events is that liberties have been stripped based on yes. that black swan. Um, what do, do you think this is a fully nefarious power grab or do you think it's just a complete mishandling? <laughs> That's a good question. So, well, here's the thing. I, I, the answer is probably it's a bit of, it's a bit of both, but I think, I think in a, situ in a situation, and again, history gives us a good indication of what's going on. And um, what's important to recognize, uh, because I see a lot of people you kind of swing into the, it's must, it must be preordained nefarious kind of agenda. Well, the reality is if you look back at many crises throughout history, whether it's economic or health crisis or various other forms of crisis that humanity has faced, you know, at a global level or at least on a national level, what you always see, what you always see is a, uh, a, 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 a expansion of fear and where there is an expansion of fear and paranoia almost all of the time you get an increase in authoritarian type leadership because it's very primal it's very primal it's almost like when you're a child and you're afraid what do you do you run to the nearest source of certainty which is either yeah, your yeah. teacher or your parents and you you look for certainty you want guidance to feel okay again now, the reality is in a situation like this, and we saw it at the beginning of this pandemic, where over 500,000 people were literally pleading our government to put, <laughs> put, put, put our country into lockdown. There was over 500,000 signatures on a petition, which is exactly that. When people are afraid, they look for certainty. And often the way they form certainty is by increased regulation, guidance and control. Um, so... One thing we must first recognize is this is a pattern. This is a pattern of behavior. This is a cycle. You can look through all these events throughout time and you'll see an increase in authoritarian style leadership every time there is a crisis because it's a fear-based response. People go to order and control. Uh, now, to your question about nefarious pieces, the reality is in those situations, especially when it's global, you will get people who will utilize that opportunity to grab excess power. You know, so there will be politicians, there'll be business leaders, there'll be people from every source of human life who utilize the opportunity. Uh, there are lots of opportunists, opportunity in the world. And, they'll, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not necessarily a vulture mentality where you're literally feeding on the carcass of the, of, of the, of the, of the dead, but you are taking the opportunity. And there is also, you know, I don't know if you've seen the Milgram experiment or watched mm. the Stanford prison experiment, which are two famous psychological uh, studies. You'll also see that human, human, human psychology responds in fascinating ways in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in, in the face of perceived threats. 
Um, and it, it creates authoritarian style behaviors. You know, people who under normal, you know, the, the Milgram experiment basically had someone press this uh, thing over and over again, which was administering a shock to, to, yeah. the, to, to the, the subject. Uh, and the doctor was telling him it's okay, even though the, even though the subject was visibly in, in pain. And, you know, at one point it looked like they were gonna kill the, 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 the subject because the doctor kept saying, do it. We, te we tend to look for that authority and trust in that authority without question, particularly when we're in a state of uncertainty. Now, the Stanford Prison Experiment was an experiment where they sent in volunteers who had been profiled for their own uh, to, to ensure they didn't have any predispositions in terms of psychological uh, imbalances. And half the group became uh, the, the wardens, the guards, the prison guards, and the other half became the prisoners. And it was shocking if you watch this and they've made films about it. It's shocking how fast some of the prison guards turn to things like violence and excess control. And I think what we see, and it is all, you know, they're all profiled. And when they actually take, 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 take the experiment down and they interview the people and ask them why they behave that way, they can't even recollect who they became in that moment. They yeah. can't even understand why they behave that way. But it's this, it's this psychological principles play out. So in every crisis, we'll get this excess control but you'll also get these behaviors manifesting in quote-unquote normal people so some of these things are happening every single time all the time and as i mentioned um there are people who will deliberately capitalize on the situation but to say it's some kind of organized uh event is quite i think is, is misguided to some degree but there are certain there's 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 you just need to look to history to see how these things play out you know yeah. whether that's politically um scientifically economically and, and there's always almost always there's the political piece around something like this so almost always when there's a financial crisis where we see like a drain of money well, there's never a drain of money in fact in a crisis we see more money printed we yeah, see yeah. more money printed this year there's a, an illusion that there's less money there's more money <laughs> there's more money it's printed like crazy but where does it go it flows up the chain it goes to the, it goes to those who already have it uh, you know the, the biggest companies on earth have grown faster this year than, than previously yeah. you've got Facebook, Amazon capitalizing from this, et cetera. So, but what you'll see in an economic crisis is you'll see, you'll usually see then a politically swing towards the left, you know, so we've seen over the last five to 10 years, you know, the, the, the political model of the West has been to the right-hand side. But after a crisis like this, there's always a swing to the left on the basis that, you know, there's a requirement for an increased welfare state. Usually yeah, there's a requirement yeah. to rebuild. So we see these political moves. And again, we can only, we only have to look through history <laughs> to see that this is not new. Yeah, so it's yeah. very easy to get caught up in the latest conspiracy around like what's happening, but you only need to look to history to see it's nothing new. It's just got different labels. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I, think, I think the conspiracy movement, um, and this isn't to say that conspiracies don't exist. I'm, I, I no, exactly, 100%. 100%. They do, um, especially in big government and above government, if you believe in all that. But we, we have to use our God-given reason to say that's ridiculous. We need to take a step back, become objective here, and look at the statistics for ourselves. Because yes. what I tend to find on social media in particular is that uh, you have people just believing anything that they read <laughs> just to yes. fulfill that bias that they've got. Yes. They'll just yes. soak yes. it all up. And it just makes absolutely zero sense. I, I'm going to probably get a smack bum by some of the Q people, but a lot of that Q <laughs> movement that we see, oh my God, it's just absolute nonsense. But people just buy into it all. Well, it's also hard to actually distinguish what is the key movement, what isn't, because, you know, from what I understand, a lot, a lot of, there's a lot of government infiltration in within that anyway, so that, mm. you know, actually a lot of the stories come out will actually not come from the, 
Q itself. It'll yeah. come from people purporting to be Q, which is uh, whenever you see, again, within a crisis like this, again, history will tell you that there's always diversion tactics and distraction tactics used by the government to, to actually try and take your mind away from uh, the actual root problems. Because uh, when critical thinking is actually applied to the real issues, there's a problem. The government has to then be accountable. They have to so, so there's always, again, diversion strategies, and you have to be mindful of that. And it's very difficult to distinguish the source of where these things come from. But when you suddenly see people, masses of people suddenly caring about issues that they never cared about previously, that's when you have to ask questions, because where's that actually come from? Yeah. And there's been loads of instances like that this year where people have suddenly gone out campaigning against for causes they've never, ever cared about. Mm. So you have to ask, where did that come from? Mm. And, and, and uh, usually I think there'll be some distraction and distortion uh, tactics in there from, from uh, maybe state, state, state control, maybe not. But uh, either way, you have to stand guard at the door of your mind. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I always say with, with the entire pandemic here, there is, enough, there is enough in plain sight to be able to challenge the response here um, without needing to, to go any further than that. All well, that's, that's our human right, I believe, to, to be able to express... Uh, when we think something's incorrect, uh, yes. we should be able to stand up and, and say something. I think a lot of people, particularly, I know a lot of successful people in business and whatever, and they're refusing to speak what they believe to be true for fear of losing out on business deals, relationships might fall. And I said to them, well, yeah, that's great for your business perhaps, but you'll be spiritually bankrupt if, if you continue that for the rest of your life. You'll have no soul. Mm. Um, uh, did you do you feel like a, a duty as as an entrepreneur to speak about what you believe? I tell you what, Alex, it was a heck of a battle to get to the point where I felt comfortable speaking up. Well, for a start, a brief history of time. I was I used to, you wouldn't believe it now, but I used to be the quietest kid in school. I was I was deeply shy. I had no self confidence. I would mm. sit on the sidelines. You know, the, to use the quote, I'm no longer sitting on the sidelines anymore in my first video was ironic because I always used to sit on the sidelines. It was my right. default pattern because yeah. I just didn't have any self-confidence. Now I've bust through that as an adult and I've consciously developed myself to be able to have the confidence to speak up for myself. But this particular situation, it took, it, I had to really double down on myself because all of those concerns were flowing through my mind. You know, I, I have a business, I have a reputation in the business. And at that point, even in August, you know, it was very contentious. You know, if you start to say something contrary to the narrative, you can guarantee that you're going to get snipered by your friends, family yeah. and business associates for, 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 for daring to say something about a situation that is purporting to kill, you know, so many people, you know, it's deemed insensitive. But I had to make the decision. And even in the moments preceding that first video, I was, I was, my heart was pounding. I was, I was so nervous because I was not worried about what I was going to say, but I was worried what other people might think. And I thought actually to me, true freedom, we talk about external freedom in terms of civil liberties and that sort of thing. But actually to me, internal freedom is the inner, get the inner game is where freedom is found. And I felt like if I was going to constrain myself for fear of being judged by others, then I will never be truly free. So uh, I, I made the decision that regardless of what other people think, I will be willing to speak my mind, but I will do so empathetically. You know, I wanted to address the situation, show that I had concerns for other people and what they were thinking, but nonetheless not be afraid to say my point of view. Um, so I understand people thinking about the concerns of their business. I had that concern, but actually what's really fascinating, there was, there's, actually, there's actually a handful of people in my head, I was imagining them saying, Dan, stick to the business, you're getting political. <laughs> 
But actually, each one of those individuals that I was imagining in my head that would be critical of the situation has privately messaged me to say, uh, you know, some of them have said in full support, some have said, I don't agree with everything I say, but I stand by you for, for having the courage to do so. And all those fears, it's always like with any fear, um, it's never as bad as we think it's going to be. You know, I remember doing yeah. a bungee jump for the first time. I've always had a fear of heights. I was like, I'm going to conquer the fear of heights. You know, once you start conquering fears, you want to knock them all back. Uh, and I remember standing on the edge of the bungee jump, looking down, thinking, oh, heck. But the guys that gave me the best piece of advice, the supervisor gave me the best piece of advice of all time. He said, disengage the brain and step. And that was it. So I did, and I jumped off, and it was, it was brilliant. You know, ACDC was playing one of my favorite bands. I was rocking out, falling through this thing, adrenaline, and never looked back. Now, the thing is here, we faced a lot of fear in 2020, and I think that disengaged the brain piece, because we're caught up in all the stories, disengage the brain, come back to center, to conscious awareness, and actually see things as they are, not worse than they are. Yeah. And that, that goes tr that's true for the virus, it's true for the... The, the idea that you know there's this massive power grab but it's also true for like what other people may think of us if we stand up for our rights yes and, and yes you will get you will get criticism you will get people judging but actually what's more important that you, you're in you, you hold strong for your integrity and you have courage to stand up for what you believe in or is it or is it better, better to be a people pleaser and please others yeah you know that's a question that's a question that people need to think about it is it is and uh, what what are your opinions on um, you know, you get called selfish for like standing up for, for <laughs> what you believe in. Uh, in my mind, selfishness is expecting people to believe what you believe. To me, that's the ultimate in selfishness. So mm -hmm. when I turn around and say to somebody, uh, you know, I, I don't believe in wearing masks, so I'm not going to wear my mask. Uh, it's a, to me, it's a symbol, not a, a health thing. Um, they call me selfish for putting everybody else at risk. But to me, the selfishness comes from me expecting to do what they think I should be doing. So mm. what's your opinion on, on that term, selfishness, being labelled about so frequently? It's, it's, it's a very interesting condition. And it comes back to what you originally said at the beginning of this podcast. It's this myopic view, this short-sighted uh, binary perception of A or B. Like you can only be or A, B, and there's nothing in between. Yeah. Um, the reality is... and. I use this phrase in the video on Friday, which is we've, we've, we've entered into a point now where we are presumed sick until proven healthy. You know, I walk down the street and people move out the way. Like, <laughs> it's not just me. I had to, look, I had to say, what am I, am I looking intimidating? The leather jacket. <laughs> no, it's not just me. People move out the way. They jump into, I saw someone jump into a bush in April because they were, someone was walking too close to them. This is fear. Uh, and under, underpinning all of this is, is fear. Now, the, the reality is, and someone accused me of being self-centered because I'm standing up for rights. I said, well, the reality is my life has really not changed that much. I'm a digital entrepreneur. I tend to work from home most of the time anyway. But actually, the biggest concern I had, what led to me speaking out, was the way that children were losing their rights and the way that children are being treated. And when I start seeing suicides go up and I start seeing all this collateral damage, like 27 million missed GP appointments and then 300,000 missed cancer screenings. That's not selfish to care about those collateral damage pieces. You know, we can't live in a myopic world where everything is about COVID-19. We can't. Like, life is so much bigger than that. So when we start talking about it being selfish, challenging ideology or ideas, then it's, 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 that's very short-sighted. It's very narrow-minded. I've yet to meet a single individual who's been protesting or standing up, who's doing it for personal reasons. I haven't met a single individual. They're all doing it for a broader category. You know, 
it, they are concerned about the approaches they're seeing. They're concerned about the data inaccuracies. They're concerned about the, 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 the lack of, you know, the lack of transparency on government. Yeah. There's all these different concerns, which are nothing to do with being selfish. They're very rational, real issues that people are challenging. And people aren't just challenging it for the sake of it. It's like, you know, I've spent now six months of the year working on this situation, uh, either, either in, in research at the beginning and now since, you know, pivoting my business in order to be able to give myself the freedom to actually talk about this stuff. I've put most of my life on hold to challenge this situation. That's not, in my eyes, selfish. That is, that is bold. That is courageous. And we, we can't live in a world where all science is suppressed other than the uh, incumbent view. And that's a real risk that we face in this, this pandemic is that we, we lose sight of that there's always multiple ideologies. But going back to the point about, you know, being presumed sick until proven healthy, the reality is at this point, there's most of this country and around the world are healthy and healthy people hanging out with healthy people is not selfish no. nor is it dangerous it's not a risk mm. if you're healthy if you if you're sick then you may be a risk to someone else but healthy people meeting with other healthy people has never been a risk no i think it's the asymptomatic yeah. argument that comes out with that for playing the of devil's course it advocate does. yes it does yes it does uh, and the, the science is you know it's, it's relatively inconclusive there's but the last 13 or 15, 13 to 14 studies I've read on it is increasingly showing that asymptomatic transmission is either negligible or zero. The latest study that came out of Wuhan, and again, I always take studies that come out of China with a pinch of salt, <laughs> the, just from what I saw, and it's nothing against, this is not, this is not you know, just to be very clear, the way I saw the virus uh, at the beginning of the year where people were collapsing in the street, we've not seen that anywhere else in the world, you know, so I, I, I had to take what, the response has been there with a pinch of salt. So it's, yeah. I, I'm not, you know, I'm not, there's nothing against China or Chinese people. It's just the response. Uh, so I just want to be very clear on that. So there is that asymptomatic spread piece, but then that's always existed for influenza as well. You know, 75 to 80% of influenza is asymptomatic. Most people don't realize that. Why don't they realize that? Because we're not bombarded with it. We're not bombarded with it all the time. But if you just, you can just go on the NHS website and it'll tell you 75% of cases of influenza are asymptomatic, but we don't treat it the same way. We don't perceive risk in the same way because no. we haven't been trained to think the same way. This year, we've had our brain trained to think that other human beings are a risk to us. And that's, that's deeply damaging. And, Very damaging, um, yeah. What's more selfish is to not stand up and question that. So uh, everyone is on their own journey. I, I, I spare judgment. You know, I, 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 if, if my reason for standing up was freeing, liberating myself from the freedom of judgment, then I cannot then be a purveyor of judgment on others. So if someone is calling me selfish or other people selfish, they have a reason for feeling that way. And I understand, I seek to understand their reasons and I won't take it personally. Um, but uh, it, it is, it, it's a frustrating issue because it can often then lead to debate and discussion in a way that's not healthy. Yeah, uh, yeah. In fact, labeling others and judging others is not healthy full stop. Um, no, you know, there's, no. there's nothing spiritual about judging other people. Mm -hmm. um, it's very stoic. That's so. a very stoic way of looking at the world, really. Uh, seeing the world yeah. for what it is rather than how you want it to be and uh, allowing other people to do that as well. Exactly. Yes. I, I, I think, you know, the more, the more we can do that because we have seen this divide, you know, it's like us and them. And that's, mm. that's, I don't see us and them. I just see us. And then some of us see things differently, you know, but we're all the same us, you know, we're mm. one human race. And, um, 
it, to me, like this has been this conscious evolution this year. It's challenged me in ways I've never been challenged. And when, I, when I'm faced with a situation where I'm being criticized in that way, knowing that I'm coming from a place of heart, I have to make sure that my ego doesn't respond <laughs> and defend. Because if it does, and it does, <laughs> it triggers, it goes, uh, I have to bring myself back into the present moment and say, this isn't, this person is on a journey, I'm on a journey, we're on different journeys at different times, it's, it's okay, you know, and, and I, 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 I suspend judgment, and I, you know, I don't judge myself, and I don't judge them, it's taken a lot of inner work to be able to get to that point, but now, instead of getting a reaction from it, I try and lean into it to understand why they feel that way, and what information has led to them feeling that way. So where do you draw that line between um, calling bullshit and, <laughs> and like being not passive, but um, objective to it? Well, see, I don't think it's my job to call bullshit. You see, uh, right. that's the, that's the piece. And I see a lot of that on social media. It's like, bam, like arguments. There's no like, okay, tell me where you came to that conclusion. There's no, there's no seeking to understand. Mm-hmm. You know, one of, one, of the, one of the earliest books I can remember reading was The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey, Dr. Stephen Covey. And I, I think it's habit four, or, or I forget the number, but see, the, the principle is to seek first to understand before being understood. Mm-hmm. And the whole message behind that is listen first, empathize, hear the per- see the see the world through the other person's eyes enter into their map of the world so that you can understand what they see. And only then, once you fully understand what they see, is it your then opportunity to perhaps offer a different view. And I think what we tend to do in the social world, social media has exacerbated this because it's not like, if you're sat with a mate across in the cafe or the pub, whatever, you've got the human dynamic of like, they may, (laughs) <laughs> they may pour their point on you or whatever uh, if you if you uh, if you upset but it's easy on social media someone you don't know just attack 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 defend yeah, yeah, this yeah. attack attend, defend mentality whereas for me and again i've fallen into that trap i'm human but it's ego that clings on to being right and so what i've tried to learn to do is to seek to understand and when you do that again without judgment you start to be able to get to a point where you can understand that they may have made their decision from limited information and the fact that I've read thousands of papers or like read loads of data doesn't even doesn't make me more likely to be right, but it gives me more data reference points yes, to, yeah, be to be able to mm. more information to be able to uh, discern an outcome. But it doesn't make me any any more right or wrong. And the same in science, you know, you can look at the same data and come to completely different conclusions. You can be a world class scientist, and you can both walk away because of your own values, beliefs, prior history, you know, human, you know, hierarchy of human needs, and come to completely different conclusions yet be equally talented, phenomenal scientists, yet you see the same thing completely differently. But what we need to get to is the point where we actually start to lean in and understand why people feel the way they do. And often what I found for those who are saying things like you're selfish, et cetera, there's limited reference points that they're drawing upon and they're usually drawing upon, um, and this is generalization, but they're usually drawing upon some of the headlines that we saw back in March and April, you know, and actually uh, two things, one, as we've already talked about, the headlines don't necessarily reflect the reality. But secondly, we also have a bias that, that leads to us using the first thing we learned about something as the primary source of information, even though a lot has evolved since March. A lot has changed. There's yeah. a lot more discernment. There's a lot more understanding. So when people are using an argument that's, that's technically out of date, at least then you have an understanding. And then you can then say, okay, well, did you know that there's been four or five 
new papers on this, which have shown a different outcome. Of course, things have evolved since then. And you can have more of a balanced conversation because what we're seeing is an attack. And what happens is when you attack someone else's point of view, they get deeper into their own point of view and they start, yeah, they stop, yeah. they stop seeing things differently. And it's the same on either way, whether you're pro lockdown or anti lockdown or whatever terminology you want to use. If someone attacks you, you dig the trenches in and you no longer look at anything else that could, uh, yeah. could refute refute your own evidence and i think well, the, the ego is there to protect itself right and, and totally. that's what it's doing yeah totally totally and critical thinking to me is always about coming back to your own assumptions like this weekend i spent most of this weekend in terms of, not most of the weekend that would be that'd be a bit <laughs> tragic but a lot of part this weekend doing some research into the other viewpoints i was studying like the mechanics of the virus who who's more prone to getting sick how does it work in the body like literally what are the mechanics in the body what, what is the immune system response? Who does it kill and who's most at risk? But to really understand the risks, to really go into like how this thing works so I can better understand when someone is deeply afraid. Yeah. Because if I don't do that, I'm not challenging my own basis. I'm not challenging my own assumptions. And critical thinking requires you to always come back to the beginning and question your own judgment. You know, Otherwise you're stuck. You're not critical thinking anymore. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's... I think one of, the, one of the issues with that is that people in high places don't do that. Yes, we're not talking about average people here. This is right no. at the top, creating decisions aren't critically thinking, and that's one of the big problems. I I believe that people, with the amount of uh, misinformation, I'm not going to call it lies, but misinformation that's going on, people have a hundred percent. They have the right to question what's going on right now. Absolutely, absolutely, You're absolutely right. And you know, I'm a big believer. You know, it's, I was pinched the line a number of times this year, but be the change you want to see. So. This is why, again, I take it back to the spiritual journey and conscious evolution, because if we expect to see conscious leaders, then we have to become conscious leaders ourselves. If we're not willing to do it, then why should anyone else be? So I think it's very easy to point fingers and become a victim and blame, uh, but we can't change who they are at this point. We can only try and influence the outcome. Um, so it's very difficult. It's very difficult. But we have to advocate for conscious leadership. And, and that, that begins with that process of asking questions. But again, if it comes back to what we're saying, if we're attacking people, they're going to do the same thing. They're going to dig, they're going to dig their trenches in and they're not going to listen. So we need to create conditions whereby those leaders begin to listen because unless they listen, then they won't question. And um, it's a very complex, it's a very complex situation because you're absolutely right. Ego is the defense mechanism and there is lots of big egos involved in this pandemic and there's lots of big uh, paychecks involved in this pandemic, which may uh, blur yeah. the boundaries of critical thinking by virtue of executing a business deal over over uh, ensuring the reality is is actually maintained. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a book called Spiral Dynamics. Have you have you ever read that? Yes, I have. Yes, uh, evolutional a long, psychology. A long time ago, but yes, I have. Yeah, and it, I can see it in my in my own understanding of the work of. Uh, that next step that we're sort of going through, that is the next spiral going up. But the change mm. that's happening, if you've never like had that framework and that mental model to work with, it's just going to look like complete and utter fucking chaos. Yes. And, and it yes. actually isn't. There's a lot of order that's going on here. We just, unless you've got that reference point to, to pinpoint it, you don't know what's going on. Yes. And that, I remind myself every day that you've got to trust in the process, mm. you know, you know, Otherwise, your ego takes over and thinks that you know you, you have you know more more ability to control it than you actually do. Yeah, 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 definitely. Let's get into a, a bit of the nuts and bolts of, of of what's been spoken about throughout the pandemic. So the vaccine—that's a hot topic right now. 
a lot of uh, pushback already. It hasn't even been rolled out yet, and there's already a ton of pushback. Uh, I'm very wary myself. I don't take vaccines. I don't take anything, in all fairness. I try and live my life as organically as possible. Um, do you think that the technology that we've got is outpacing our development as human beings? <laughs> yeah, fantastic question. Fantastic. A beautiful question. Um, now, I wrote, I did a video on this on Friday. This was the subject of my video. Has the pace of change now accelerated to the point where we are no longer evaluating the ethics, morals, social, human, um, legal uh, aspects of technology? And, and, and what is it all for? You know, how, how far removed are we becoming from our humanity? And I, I, you know, I remember last year just on a lovely summer's day, lying in the park, just looking up at the sky. You know, I've been, I've been up, I, and I'm a big tech. I love technology. I'm, I'm, an, I'm as an entrepreneur, I, I live and breathe innovation. Um, and last year, I went on tour around a lot of the different universities. I went over to 30 universities across the UK and Ireland, teaching the principles of innovation. And this nice. point here of building human-centered technology and instilling the values of ethics, morals. Uh, and doing what is right is is so key because at this point things are moving so fast and we're doing things in reverse we're releasing the technology and then going oh what's the ethical ramifications of this what could this actually do it's too late you've already put it out into the world we need to be embodying that as part of the conversation is this contributing to human life you know and is it ethical uh, we, we're missing those questions and I think it's, it's, a, it's a really important issue. It's a really important issue. I do believe we stand at the precipice of a, a journey. If you've watched Black Mirror and these kind of uh, films and, and documentaries and you know, stories, fiction, the reality is <laughs> these technologies are becoming available. And we stand at a point where if we don't set a course that is based around humanity, then we, we, could, lend, we could end up into a, into a darker place whereby uh you know we, we we give away excess power to to governments etc everything becomes surveilled and we lose freedoms completely you know and it's 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 a big big question and i suppose when it, you, you know you open with the vaccines when it comes to the vaccines i think you know there's this 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 i did a video on it again in terms of how to deal with anti-vaxxers and the, the question what the, the, the my solution was for the, for the pharmaceutical industry to look itself in the mirror because that's where all the answers are yeah. you know People aren't <laughs> a quote unquote anti-vax for no reason. They have concerns. They have real issues that they would like to, to, to see dealt with, but they're just swept under the carpet. You know, they're just minimized. And all of the th things we've talked about in this interview so far in terms of acting without judgment and being open-minded and uh, empathetic is completely devoid. You know, we're literally seeing military being deployed via cyber, cyber uh, units to actually eradicate negative information about vaccination rather than actually addressing the underlying issues and you know in the world i live in in terms of business innovation innovation is all about listening to the end user it's all about listening to what their challenges are and their frustrations and their concerns in order to build a product that they not only love but not only use but love mm. and <laughs> we live in a situation right now where people are, are you know more than hesitant but the industry the pharmaceutical industry is just brushing it under the carpet and trying to use force to eradicate eradicate a view which i yeah. think is going back to morals and ethics that's not that's not ethical yeah. um you know and with everything there's always information misinformation and disinformation on every side but 
between the extremes, you know, I always say, look at the bell curve, you know, don't use a 5% argument on either side to make your argument, use everything in between. Mm. And within that bell curve is everything. Uh, and it's not right to, it's just not right to, 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 to uh, seek to remove these concerns, valid concerns that people have, particularly in the face of a new technology. It's an untested technology at, at scale, mRNA technology. And it could be, you know, it's a fascinating development. You know, again, as a technologist, I'm not against innovation, but actually I am pro uh, ethics, morals, rights, humanity, health, all these things to make sure we're not causing more harm through, through the innovation itself. And yeah. um, it's, it's, yeah, it's a very complex situation. And when they have no legal discourse. Oh, that's the big one. I mean, yes. that just, it's, it, it knocks out alarm bells straight away, doesn't it? To start ringing straight away. Totally. I mean, the, the argument from the pharmaceutical industry is like, well, actually, you're the government, you're the ones authorizing it in an unlicensed, you know, you're licensing this in a way that you wouldn't normally license it, therefore it's your risk. So that, you know, the, the pharmaceutical industry is basically passing the bat to, to the government. But the reality is, as we know, with every government, you know, four, four years down the line, whatnot, the same people who made the decisions are not likely to be anywhere near the source of the crime mm. anymore. Uh, and, and will never be held accountable. You know, that's the reality of the situation. And I was thinking about some of the fines I've seen, you know, someone was sharing some of the information of the, the fines that the pharmaceutical industry have paid over the years, billions and billions. What industry can you get away with being yeah. fined billions without actually being eventually sent to jail? Yeah. You know, where, where, where is that? Where, where does that happen? Anywhere else. If you're a big enough company just to pay a fine to keep, you know, you make more money by paying the fine. You know, it's not a deterrent. It's not a deterrent. So in this instance, you know, there's no legal ramification or financial ramification that's been passed on to the government. But the government, who, the government if, this, if this goes pear-shaped, are the government going to be ever held accountable? No. Nah. Nah. Of course they're not. Uh, I, I'm, I'm a believer in, like, the, in terms of human health, I've mentioned it a few times here, I'm a believer in the via negativa philosophy, which is removing things from you to, to go align yourself back with nature rather than adding yes. stuff in. So if you're yes. smoking like a 30, 40 cigarettes a day, remove that and you'll, you'll never have to take pills that cost a fortune when you're 50. Absolutely. So remove things from you rather than take them, um, which is, yeah. I know the context is very different here with the COVID-19 and nobody you know, really knows what's, what's going on. Uh, will you take it yourself? No. No, no, no. I mean, I trust him. Yeah, I'm at a point, I, you know, like yourself, I live organically as much as possible. Um, you know, I don't have a 100% plant-based diet, but very close to, you know, I work out, I, I meditate, I take care of my mental, physical, spiritual being. Uh, I trust in my immune system. And I would, I would much rather organically get a virus and develop immunity from that, being exposed to that virus than I would uh, a artificial form of that, I believe. Like we have done forever. Like we have done forever. Uh, and, and, and now, don't get me wrong. If 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 there was an outbreak of something like smallpox, which literally had like a thirty percent fatality rate, I'd take. I'd sing a different song. I'd be playing mm -hmm. a different game. Because the, the, then the perceived risk of a new vaccine technology would be lower than something that you know could wipe out a third of the planet. But we're not facing that situation, so it's situationally dependent for me. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I believe in the, you know, I, I live responsibly and uh, as a result, I trust in, in my immune system to, to take care of me. And I think going back to what you said about COVID and what we, what we do and what we don't know, what is very evident is those who are affected most severely and those who sadly lose their lives. If you look at the underlying data, a lot of them have significant comorbidities and not all of them will be lifestyle driven. Some may be genetic and, and environmental. 
but you have to take stock at ill health full stop and whilst you know someone who is now suffering of heart disease and therefore uh, at higher risk of covid if they've spent their entire life eating poor diet excess drinking smoking again i'm saying this without judgment but actually just on honest fact you're more likely to get ill health problems in the future of course but, yeah but the thing is covid feels like an immediate threat you know people treat it like it's the boogeyman on the corner whereas something like heart disease or cancer always seems like some distance threat it's a horizon threat but actually the decisions we make today determine the destiny our destiny in terms of our horizon so if we are not choosing to live healthily now then if there's an outbreak in 10 20 30 years time and we've just been living unhealthily then we'll be the ones that are at the highest risk whereas the reality is if we take care of ourselves and our body and immune system now then we're all going to benefit from that but but it's much easier to turn to a pill or an injection to try and shortcut that need. People are always looking for the, the, the least, the path of least resistance. The reality is we just need to build healthy habits yes, every yeah. single day, um, uh, every single day in order to, um, to take care of our immune system and our health. Do you think that uh, moving forward, if there are, um, uh, what's the word, difficulties, with the vaccine moving forward do you think there will be outcry and do you think there will be people uh you know causing uh disharmony in society or do you think that people will simply say oh it's just the, the cost of of trying to save everybody i think it, i think it will cause i think it'd be yeah, i think it will trigger people in a major way i think right. I, I think i think that what we've talked about initially in terms of the vaccine hesitancy I think there's there's more more and more people now asking questions about um, you know more and more people are turning to organic lifestyles more and more people are looking to actually uh, eat uh, and live sustainably mm. and medical intervention does not normally fall under those categories you know most medical interventions are made with chemicals and more and more people are looking you know they're looking for they're looking for natural alternatives to to uh, which is a great opportunity for the pharmaceutical industry to be quite frank um, but because of that that movement i think if there's a if there's a, if there's a, it's going to be very hard with a mass vaccination schedule if there's a sudden influx in ad, serious adverse reactions it's going to be very hard for the industry to do what's been done before and say there's no correlation yeah yeah yeah, yeah. you 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 can you can, it's going to be very hard to hide from that if there's a sudden if there's a sudden increase in specific reactions i don't know how you can hide from that and I think people, I mean, if anyone in my family takes the vaccine and gets adverse, I will, I will very, the calm, uh, <laughs> that, that will become the ultimate spiritual conscious test because to, 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 I will, I will, I can already, like, if I pitch it, I would lose my rag, yeah. to put yeah, it nicely. Yeah. And uh, I think a lot of people would. I think a lot, if that does happen, I think it's going to cause mass unrest. And I think if the vaccine industry doesn't recognize that, then they've got a problem because you know that could that could be the nail in the coffin for the trust trust in the vaccine industry full stop mm. so so there's a, there's a high stakes game yeah. here um and i yeah. i just i just i, I just you know I, I i i just pray and intend that there's no problem because uh, that's the last thing we need you know yeah. that's the yeah. last thing we need i really really truly hope that this is a safe product you know even yeah. if it's not effective if it's just a giant waste of money and it doesn't work i'd rather that than it would be a <laughs> uh, a product that causes harm you know uh, i think we've been stuck in sort of a debate between terrain and germ theory for about 150 years now like, <laughs> yes 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 and it's like well germ theory makes a lot of money because you can just and it feeds into the instant gratification reality that we're living in 
where yes. if you just take this pill, you'll be great. Uh, whereas terrain theory requires effort, compounded uh, results, and it's in take you five, 10 years to, to really get healthy. Yes. And people don't want that. They'd rather, they'd rather live till they're 85 to keep taking pills to keep them ticking yeah. rather than actually live well. And I think this is just another manifestation of that, if I'm honest. Totally. Totally. And it comes back to that shift in thinking required, you know, how do we, how do we, how do we embody that? You know, we, we always look for shortcuts as human, but where has that come from? Where has that psychology come from? Yeah. Um, and you know, the driver of profit is potentially one of those things because, you know, always looking for solutions to make life easier. Um, but if that it comes back to those incentives, those considerations and in technology innovation, if profit is the only driver, then we're never going to see change. Um, so for me, it's about how do we, how do we incentivize human health, like to actually take the steps to, to nourish and preserve oneself? Because once you actually take the steps to get healthy, it takes time. But once you start to feel the effects of it, it's very hard to go back. I mean, it's once you feel incredible and energetic and vital every single day as a result of your decisions, mm. it's hard to turn your back on that, you know, but the, the reality is like anything, it becomes normalized. And if you feel good every day, that normal becomes normal. And you forget, you forget what, you know, exceptional felt like when you first get there and it comes yeah, back to yeah. being normal. So it's, it's, it's all these mechanics of like pleasure reward and, you know, fear of pain, cracking that code. If we can crack that code and actually enable people to, to take the long, the long road and, and, and live sustainably and healthily, then we'll all, we'll all, we'll all be better off. Mm. And digital health passports, they move into that realm as well. Do you think that that's a good idea? Because I think, personally, think in the West, they won't make it mandatory. But I think if you go to Eastern countries, you might have to have some sort of vaccine or something in order to get into the country. So do you think it's a good idea to have that? Or do you think it's a manipulative technique? I don't think conditional-based uh, responses are useful in any way. I think that's becomes coercion. Um, you know it's still a form of mandating it's just under a veil you yeah. know um you, you, you create the possibility of a two-tier society uh which again talking of things like black mirror etc you know there, there are people who have prophesized and projected that the future will end up something like that in terms of what we're facing right now and it comes back to those decisions that we make today will influence our future and if we don't make the right decisions now the consequences could be far-reaching because as you mentioned earlier on around 9 11 you know the security uh, protocols that were in Introduced post 9/11 haven't gone away. You know, it's it's, it's yeah. a fallacy if you think the decisions that are made today will go away tomorrow. They won't. Um, so I think placing conditions. Um, it, if 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 it if it did come with conditions, I would want to see it enshrined in law that it would be for a predefined period of time. Uh, but even then, I would feel uncomfortable because my lack of my lack of trust in those who set the rules now in 2020 has never been lower. Uh, so even if it said for three months, you know, as part of the pandemic response, I would, I would, I would very much doubt, you know, we had a three week lockdown at the beginning of the year. I very much doubt that we would stick to those terms. And that's, that's the difficulty. Did you have faith in these people before the lockdown though and all that? Or did you, did you I've actually? Always, <laughs> I've always had a healthy skepticism of, uh, of government uh, ever since I was a kid. Uh, Evidence as a child. I remember uh, I've said this a few times. I remember watching like the Houses of Parliament debate on the television. Like my dad used to watch the six o'clock news every night, and they would see this green leather chairs and a bunch of old dudes just yelling and cheering across benches at each other. And thought, is that 
this is how the country is run. Even as like a seven year old, I was like, surely this isn't the most effective way to run a country by yelling and jeering across the room. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, ever since I was a young boy, I've always had like this, like, surely there's a better way mentality around governance. Um, so, but it's been magnified this year. It's because everything's under a magnifying glass, you know, everything's being amplified and, um, there are certain individuals within this government I would I would absolutely not hire in my own company. Even no. If paid, even if you paid me. <laughs> <laughs> so we're coming up to the hour, Dan. Um, prediction time. Where do you think the world's heading to? You've got the World Economic Forum with the Great Reset and all that nonsense that they're spouting. Um, where do you think we're heading? Well, I think there's a dichotomy between that kind of great reset which is the kind of patterns that we've talked about earlier the fear-based patterns but concurrent to that there's also a great awakening um which i have greater hope for and um what we'll probably see is things will get worse before they get better um but i trust in that process of great awakening and i think a lot of good will eventually come from this uh but but how how far down the track that is 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 hard to tell uh, i think there's going to be a lot of struggle and a lot of resistance and a lot of uh, trauma before we reach that point but beyond that trauma I really hope we'll see a, some bright space with some uh, a, a, with a fertile ground to create a better world for the people on the planet beautiful uh, well thank you for your work thank you for for coming on is there anything you want to share where can people find you so I'd say it's very simply you know people know me as Dan Aston Gregory which is my married name um, but all my all my stuff is in my business name, which is Dan J. Gregory. So just head over to danjgregory.com. You'll find the pandemic podcast link there. Um, we're rapidly racing to get everything on different social channels like YouTube, Spotify, uh, Apple, etc., so that people can access in different formats and different places. But if you're interested in tuning into the pandemic podcast, just go to danjgregory.com forward slash pandemic and you'll uh, see what we're up to. Beautiful. Thanks for coming on, Dan. Cheers, mate. My pleasure. Thank you, Alex. Thank you. Cheers.